You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of Ruth. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join Pastor Ryan now. The first five verses, the scene is set for us. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The scene is said here, it's the days when the judges ruled, a 400-year period of time that was the darkest time in Israel's history. In fact, if you look at the previous page, the last verse of Judges, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That was the mindset. That was the character of the people, to do what was right in their eyes. There was no king in Israel. God wanted to be their king, but he was not. They rejected God. They rebelled against God. And so it was during this time of wanton sin, of rebellion to God, that this story is set for us. It shows us that even in the midst of moral depravity, that God is still working. That as we look at our world today, as we look at our country today, and it's our tendency to get discouraged. It's our tendency to, to think that everything is going to hell in a handbasket and to just give up and get you know frustrated with the, the government, to get frustrated with the presidential race, to, to get frustrated with the state of morality in America, and to think that God isn't working when in fact this story teaches us that he is. In the days when the judges ruled. There was a famine in the land. And so not only in a, in a time of moral depravity, but in a time of economic difficulty as well. In a time where they couldn't even feed themselves. God was working. Which is interesting because this story is set in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. And so it was in the house of bread that they had no bread. A certain man, a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah... It speaks of the fact that that God is working in individuals' lives. A certain man. This this story is is not about an entire nation. This story is is not about a large group of people. This story is about individuals. And sometimes we think that that God only works in the big things. That God's only at work maybe in the gathering together of Christians in church. That God's only at work in, in large Productions, And yet what we see here is that God was at work in individuals' lives. A certain man of Bethlehem went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. On the one hand, we can't blame this man for bringing his family to, to Moab during a time of famine. But on the other hand, it was very clear scripturally in the book of Leviticus God had told them that if they were faithful to him, that if they obeyed him, he would provide for them, that they would never be short of food. And so a famine in the land would only indicate that there was rebellion on their part, that they were not faithful to God. And so rather than fleeing, there should have been repentance. Rather than giving up, there should have been within him a passion to create revival. And yet he flees. He does the easy thing. He goes to Moab, which was an enemy nation. Moab was a people that were the product 
of an incestuous relationship of Lot and his daughter. In fact, Lot had an incestuous relationship with both of his daughters. They got him drunk on two different nights. And one of the daughters had a son by the name of Moab. And Moab was always an enemy of Israel. And yet they chose to go there rather than do what God had instructed them to do. They chose to do the easy thing. And I wonder if that doesn't apply to some of us today when when things are difficult, maybe in an economy like what we're facing today, how easy it is to think that if I can just move somewhere else, things will get better. If I can just go somewhere else, then then all of my problems will, will go away. That's what this man, the name of whom is Elimelech, that's what he thought. That if, if he could just get away, things would get better. Things would, would turn around. And as this story unfolds, we find out that is exactly the opposite of what happens. Because here's the thing, you guys. When you flee, when you try to run, when you try to take things into your own hands and try to make it happen rather than listening to God and hearing from God, when you do that, you have to remember that you take yourself with you. And the problems that you had here will just follow you there. And taking things into your own hands never solves anything. The name of this man was Elimelech, which means my God is king. And how interesting that a man whose name represented the rulership and the leadership of God in our life, and yet he didn't live up to that at all. The name of his wife was Naomi, which means pleasant and lovely. The the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Or it's actually better translated that they sojourned there. This was something that was initially temporary in their minds. They didn't intend to live there. This was going to solve all of their problems. He brings his entire family, even his sons, Malon and Kilion, which means sickly and dying. That's their kids' names. And at that time... In Jewish culture, you would name your kids according to characteristics about them. You know, Esau means red, and he was red and hairy. Malon and Kilion, sickly and dying. That was the legacy these guys had, and they live up to that. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And so Elimelech's desire to move so that he could get rid of all of his problems so that their financial worries would disappear, he could live, so that they could have bread to eat. In fact, didn't work out at all because he dies. And so they go from famine and financial struggle to now Naomi deals with the death of her husband. And we're beginning to see the dark shadows that creep over this story. Now they, speaking of her sons, took wives of the women of Moab. This is not strictly prohibited scripturally that they would intermarry with Moabites, but it was pretty clear that it wasn't a good idea. The same way in which it was pretty clear that they shouldn't move to Moab, that God was going to bless them there in the promised land, that he had promised to provide for them. The same was true in this, and yet their decision to turn their back on the promises of God is now leading into further bad decision-making. They took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. It doesn't even tell us who married whom. Just like it doesn't tell us why Elimelech died, it doesn't give us a lot of details because there's a a thread 
that God is going to weave through this book. And so the, the specific details aren't necessarily given to us. And they dwelt there about 10 years. And so what was supposed to be temporary, what was supposed to be something that would just solve their problems for a time, ended up being a 10-year stay in a foreign land that served foreign gods. Then both Malon and Kilion also died. Shocking, right? Sickly and dying finally die. And they die at a young age. And so the woman, speaking of Naomi, survived her two sons and her husband. And so the scene is set for us of a woman who flees her problems with her husband. They're going to make things better. They're they're going to have a, a great life. And yet her husband dies. Her sons die. She's left a widow. She's left with no children and no grandchildren. Then she arose, verse 6, with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. And so news had traveled from her homeland, from, from Israel, from Bethlehem, that things had turned around there, that things were better now. And she wants to go back. And so she, she ar- arises with her daughters-in-law, Three women who have all faced death, who have all faced tragedy. They're going to, to go to Naomi's homeland. And it's interesting that in verse 6 and in chapter 4, verse 13, we find the only two times that the Lord is mentioned apart from specific dialogue in this book. That the Lord is mentioned apart from people talking about Him, that we see God's work in a specific way, and that tells us something. There there are two bookends of what God is doing. Here it says the Lord had visited His people. I think an, an interesting word, visited, by giving them bread. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. We know that Jesus has visited His people, that He became like one of us, and He walked among us, He tabernacled among us, the Bible says. And then if you look at chapter 4, verse 13, we see the other bookend. The other time that God is mentioned apart from specific dialogue, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son, the son of whom is Obed, the grandfather of David, the line and the lineage of Christ being tied in to this book in an amazing way. And we will talk about that at great lengths. That there's more going on here than meets the eye. That God is working in the mundane. That God is working in the trials, in the difficulties of life, even though these characters don't know it. They don't know the implications. They don't know what they're a part of. And I wonder if you right now, as you're on this journey in life, as you're facing trials and difficulties, as you're wondering why you don't have burning bush experiences with God and why God doesn't speak to you audibly and why you don't have these exciting experiences that you want to have and that you read about in the Bible. But here's the thing, you guys. For every exciting burning bush experience that we read about in the Bible, there are hundreds of years of daily mundane walking with God. And we forget that. And God is at work in those times. 
Even in the dark times, as we read about here, in times of loss of loved ones, in sickness, in the the death of a child, in famine, economic struggles, God is at work. And God was at work here, and we see these bookends pointing to Jesus Christ. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And so they're making their way back to Naomi's homeland. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And so they, they travel a certain distance. It doesn't say how far they travel, but the distance between Moab and Bethlehem was about 50 miles through some tough country, mountainous, desert regions there in southern Israel, the Dead Sea region of Israel. They, they, they journey a, a distance, it doesn't say, and there has to be a reason for this, why Ruth would have her daughters-in-law go out a certain distance and then turn to them and say, why don't you go back? Why don't you go back to your people? Some think that, that Ruth is wanting to see if they're really serious about, or Naomi's wanting to see if they're really serious about going with her or not. Maybe she had a change of mind. Maybe, as we're going to read here, maybe she just begins to think, you know what, I've got nothing to offer these girls. What am I doing? Whatever the case, she turns to them. She tells them to return to their home. It's better for you in Moab. You have family there. You have connections there. You can remarry and you're young enough to have a new family, to have sons that you don't have to to further your family line. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. There's an interesting thing that takes place here in verse 8 as Naomi says, The Lord deal kindly with you. The word is hased in the Hebrew. It's a word that, that encapsulates all of the loving and gracious and merciful attributes of God. And it's really a theme of, of this little book, the hased of God. Because it's something that Ruth, as she comes to the Lord, as she gives her life to the Lord, she understands in a great way and she shows hased to Naomi. And here, Naomi says, may, may the hased of God be with you. May you find rest. May you find a husband. She kisses them. She releases them from their responsibility to her. And they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husband's? Naomi is saying, even if I had the ability to have a child, even if I were pregnant, you're not going to wait for me. You're you're not going to to be able to receive from that. It It will take too long as she goes on to say, turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And there was a a custom in that time that, that if you 
were a widow that, that you could wait for your, your in-laws to have more children and, and marry them if, if, if it worked out to carry along the line. And yet she's saying, look, my husband's dead and I'm too old to have another husband and I'm certainly too old to have kids. This isn't going to work. You're not going to wait for me. Just go. Do what makes sense. Do the reasonable thing. The, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And so at this point, Orpah decides that, you know what? Naomi's right. Following her to her homeland is not a good idea. This isn't going to work out. And again, Orpah receives a lot of piling on from commentators and Bible teachers and even Jewish tradition says that Orpah was the mother of Goliath and his brothers. And so th- this lady, you know, she's not, she's not well respected for her decision here. But the thing is, is that Orpah does what is ordinary, what is common, what we would expect. And I don't know that we can pile on her for her decision, but it's Ruth that does the extraordinary. And so rather than looking down on Orpah, we need to emulate Ruth. As she does the extraordinary, she clings to her mother-in-law. And she said, look, Naomi says, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. And so initially Orpah was following Naomi and following her God, but she's turned her back on her. She was a person that had maybe made a confession, but then decided that she would rather serve her own gods. And so maybe, maybe we should call her Oprah, because that's kind of what, you know, Oprah is like, claims to be a Christian, you know, but has all these whacked out ideas. So she, she says, look, Ruth, why don't you just follow her? Do the, do the, common, ordinary thing. It makes sense. But listen to what Ruth says. Some of the most famous verses from this book, for sure. Maybe some of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. Maybe you use these as wedding vows. Entreat me not to leave you. Urge me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people. And your God, my God, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Amazing words for a daughter-in-law to say to her mother-in-law. Amazing words for a woman to say when she has no idea what is ahead of her. She's leaving her family. She's leaving what's comfortable to her. She's leaving what makes sense. And the reason why, you guys, is found at the end of verse 16 when she says, And your God shall be my God. This is a conversion experience, as much as the Old Testament would detail one. This is Ruth leaving the gods of Moab, primarily the god Chemosh, the primary god they worship, to now follow Yahweh, the God of Israel. She says, Your God will be my God. And she has... A change of heart, a change of life, a change of direction. And she says, I will follow you wherever you go. This is what the Lord is leading me to do. And in some ways, the faith of Ruth 
far exceeds the faith of Abraham. Because Abraham had the word of the Lord to go. Ruth simply is trusting in the Lord and what he's showing her to do and following this woman who is not exactly living up to her name either of pleasant and lovely. And it's interesting because in this time of of darkness, in this time of struggle, in this time of difficulty, Naomi always trusting God as she says, the Lord has gone out against me. She never turns her back on God. She never doubts his existence. But she does begin to doubt his goodness. And she does begin to question what he's doing in her life. She thinks that she is the recipient of his wrath and his judgment. And even in the midst of that, even in the midst of this bitterness and this theology that is warped, that on one hand is good because she believes in the sovereignty of God and in his hand in her life, but on the other hand is not so good because she's believing that somehow she's the product of God's wrath because of the things that are happening to her, rather than remembering the story of a man like Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, who was imprisoned for trusting God and for following God and for obeying God. And God used all of that in Joseph's life. She forgot that story. She forgot the fact that God works through our trials. But in the midst of that, you guys... The Lord used Naomi to reach Ruth. And you know, sometimes we think that unless my life is, is all together, unless I'm just doing everything perfectly, that I won't be able to reach my friends, that I won't be able to reach my coworkers, that, that I won't be able to see family members come to Christ because they'll see my life and they see that it's screwed up and they see that I don't have everything together and they won't want to come to Christ. Well, here is a great illustration that shows us even when things aren't going so well and we're making mistakes and we have perspectives that are wrong, that God can still use us. Ruth has a complete change of life. She wants to follow the Lord. And listen to how Naomi responds and reacts. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. I think that that Naomi, in her struggle, in her darkness, isn't quite sure if she even wants Ruth to follow God. I mean, listen to what she says in verse 15. Go back to your gods. This is a woman who is deeply conflicted. This is a woman who on one hand believes in God and knows he exists. And that understanding can never be stripped from her. But on the other hand, she's mad at God. She's confused. She's angry. And maybe you can relate to that. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She's been gone for 10 years. Apparently she knew a lot of people. Apparently she was well connected. Apparently she was missed. And she comes back and they say, is this Naomi? Can this be? More than likely speaking among themselves. You can imagine from house to house, from coffee shop to coffee shop, people are emailing, they're on their cell phones. (laughs) Naomi is back. This is amazing. But she said to them, listen, 
Do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Lord, for the Almighty, has dealt very bitterly with me. Again, a woman who never doubts the existence of God. She doesn't say, you know what, I don't even believe in God anymore. But what she says is, I believe in God. In fact, I believe in him quite well. I think he's judging me and pouring out his wrath upon me and dealing very bitterly with me. But if Naomi had taken a second to remember that it was their decision to go to Moab, that it was their decision to flee the promise of God and to take things into their own hands, and that God was sovereignly working despite their bad decision, and that this wasn't the judgment of God, this was the providence of God. The providence of God is, is God's sovereign work to do good things in our life. And he's doing that, you guys, in your life right now. Despite the dark shadows of difficulty that may be looming in your life, the physical illness, the, the marriage that's falling apart, the financial struggles, the relational difficulties, the, the fact that your job may not be there tomorrow. Anything that is causing you to worry or to stress that God is working in the midst of all of these things. But maybe you're feeling a little like Naomi, that the Lord is dealing very bitterly with you. Don't call me blessed. Don't give me that. Don't tell me how good God is. Call me bitter. Call me judged. Call me afflicted by God. And what do I think of Naomi's theology? Well, I would rather have Naomi's theology that at least recognize the sovereign hand of God, that at least recognize the fact that God had allowed these things. Now, do I think that her theology is a little bit warped? Yes, because she's blaming God. And God, you guys, doesn't will, doesn't cause these things to happen to us. But as they do, the natural circumstances of life, as they happen and as he allows them to happen in our life, it is always, and I stress always, for your good. That's the providence of God. And until you get that theology sorted out in your mind, you will always struggle as Naomi does. Oh, you may believe in God, but you'll be mad at God. You will struggle with God. You'll be bitter. She says, I went out full, which isn't exactly true. There was a famine in the land. Her children were, were sickly and dying. But I went out full. Isn't that always how we look at things in the past? With rose-colored glasses. I, things were so much better then. I went out full and now the Lord's brought me home empty. And that's not true either. She has a wonderful daughter-in-law who has just said some amazing things to her. She has friends. She's not empty. And neither are you. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. The way that this chapter ends is absolutely on purpose. It started with a famine and yet she said she went out full. It ends at the beginning of harvest, and yet she says, I came back empty. It's pointing us also to what is to come in this book. I encourage you guys to read the book of Ruth maybe once a day throughout our time in it. At least try to read it a few times in its entirety. You can sit down and read it in about a half an hour, all four chapters. But it's pointing us 
to what is to come. It, it leaves us hanging a little bit here. And you guys, as we make our way through this book, it's very clear that this book is all about these characters. That it's all about these specific individuals. And maybe as we've been introduced to these individuals, maybe you can relate to one of them. And, and maybe God wants to speak to you in a certain way through this individual. Maybe you relate to Elimelech. Maybe you're a little like Elimelech. That when difficulties come, when trials come, when tragedy strikes, when the economy isn't looking so good, when there's a famine in the land, maybe your tendency is to take things into your own hands and to make it work on your own. I can relate to that. That I'm going to figure this out. That I'm a man. That I, that I can make this happen. Yes, I believe in God. Yes, I, I trust in His promises. But Lord, I'm going to take this matter into my hands. I'm, I'm going to make it happen here. And it always ends up in disaster. It's interesting that Elimelech didn't think this through very well of moving to Moab where they had no friends, no family, where, where they had no church to speak of, no fellowship. So often I, I see people make this decision. This poor decision. I see people fall into this trap of taking things into their own hands. We're going to make it happen. We're going to move somewhere else. And they don't look into it all the, the spiritual implications. A church. Where they're going to fellowship. The fact that they're leaving behind all of their friends. They're leaving behind their support system. Because all they can think of is, it's going to be better there. It's going to work out there. This is, is going to be the, the thing that takes care of all of my problems. And then they move away, and then they find out that they just created a whole bunch of other problems for themselves. And I, I've seen that happen so many times. I've talked to people so many times. I've had them email me and say, man, I wish we hadn't moved. I wish we hadn't made that decision. I wish we had thought about it beforehand. I, I wish we had really investigated things to make sure that this was the right thing to do. Maybe you can relate to Elimelech. Or maybe you relate to Orpah. That there, there was a time where seeking the Lord and serving the Lord and following after the Lord made sense. But then you just thought about it and, and thought, you know what, I don't have time for this. This, do, this doesn't fit into my lifestyle. This doesn't fit into what I had in mind. Things got difficult. Things got tough. It didn't work out exactly the way you thought. And so you turned your back on the Lord. Maybe you can relate to Orpah in that way. Maybe some of you can relate to Ruth in that you're just sensing that, that God wants you to turn toward Him. That you've never had a relationship with Him. That you can't say that our God is your God. That you look around and, and, and you see that, that others have a relationship with God. That others talk about what God is doing in their life. That others are following Him. And you hear the testimonies. And you hear what the Lord is doing. And you think, that isn't true of me. And maybe you can relate to Ruth in that you need to, to turn toward Him. Maybe you can relate to Naomi in that you're just feeling like God is judging you. That God is afflicting you. That God is dealing bitterly with you. And you're mad at God. You're angry at God. You don't understand what is up. And I'll say this, that, that Naomi is honest. And I'll take that any day of the week. Over somebody that just says, oh, I'm fine. Everything's good. Doing well. Just to put on a facade. Just to make it seem like that they've got all 
of their ducks in a row, that everything is going great. Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. How you doing? Fine. And if everybody says that, and everybody just puts on that facade, it really is kind of a plastic fellowship, isn't it? That God didn't intend. I think God intended us to be a little bit like Naomi. And I'm not saying that that she was perfect in her way of dealing with things, but man, just be honest with the way you feel. That's the kind of church that I want to have. Not plastic, not fake, not let's pretend like we've got everything together. Let's dress nice and show up and sing a couple songs, listen and go home. No, you guys, Christianity is messy. It's a, it's a dirty job, if you will. It, it involves getting in people's lives and, and delving into problems and struggles and not just hoping to God that when you ask somebody, how are they doing, that they aren't going to sit there and actually talk to you. And when you get a response like Naomi, sometimes it's like, oh, dear Lord, that's not what I had in mind, you know. Please, just you're doing fine. See, we kind of create it. But we need more Naomi's to be honest, to say, you know what? Life stinks right now. I had another word in mind, but I was instructed that it's not good to use because kids are told at home not to use that word, and then I use it, so I won't use it. Life stinks. Life's hard. Life's difficult. Be honest about it. Be real. And then be open to God changing you and God showing you what he's doing. But be honest in the meantime. The things that we can learn in Ruth chapter 1 is that God is sovereignly, sovereignly ruling in our life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. He's sovereignly ruling in our lives, you guys. He's sovereign. He's in control. When you gave your life to him, you said, Lord, I subject myself to you. Your will is better than mine. And you're sovereign. Do with me as you please. He's sovereign. But we also see that in his sovereignty, that God works very mysteriously. And God's providence, you guys, is often very difficult. And the dark shadows that loom over our life sometimes leave us wondering what in the world is going on. But we always have to remember that God has our best interests in mind. And that yes, that thing was filtered through his sovereignty. And yes, he allowed it. But he also, he loves you. And he demonstrated that love at the cross. The thread that is being woven through this very book. Jesus Christ and him crucified. We also learn that God's purposes are always good. Not only is he sovereign. Not only is he guiding us through mysterious and difficult things. But we must know that his purposes are always good. And he always has our best interests in mind. And finally, something we can glean from this is that God's sovereignty, his providential hand, sets us free. See, we want to go to to one extreme or the other, don't we? We want to focus on God's sovereignty, and that's all we talk about. The sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God. And, And we become almost like a robot. And people get really strange with the sovereignty of God. And unbiblical, and extreme. But what we learn here is that when we trust in the sovereignty of God... When we trust that his purposes are good for us, that it enables us to find a freedom that we never knew we had. Whom the sets free is free indeed. 
You guys, God's sovereignty doesn't bind us up. It frees us up. It frees us up to make the kinds of decisions that we find here. Some good, some bad. Elimelech made a bad choice, but God sovereignly wove it back together, didn't he? Did he say, oh, geez, you guys screwed it up. I can't work. It's over. No, he made it happen, didn't he? And then they made good decisions. They had freedom to do so under the sovereignty of God. Naomi had the freedom to not go back to Bethlehem, but she chose to. Ruth had the same freedom that Orpah did to turn back and go home. But God had sovereignly weaved his plan into all of it. But there was still a free will. There was still the ability to make choices. And in that, God is glorified. It's amazing. I'm looking forward to this book, you guys. I hope you read ahead and see what the Lord does in this amazing story. Let's stand and pray together. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.